Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, last Thursday when Autosport Magazine hit the shelves or came through your letterbox, you may have seen us talking about Lewis Hamilton's 10 seasons at Mercedes, 10th anniversary, Lewis, and also uh, for Toto Wolff as well, which we'll, we will talk about. I'm joined on the podcast today, first of all, by our Grand Prix editor, Alex Kalanorkas. And so, yeah, we'll talk about Lewis Hamilton's 10 years, but also Toto's 10 years at Mercedes as well. Really interesting. Uh, you can get the magazine and read all about that. You read, you wrote those pieces for the magazine. Was it interesting looking back? It was. It was slightly alarming, actually, because uh, once again, for regular listeners of the Autosport podcast, you will be pleased to know that we remain at Silverstone in the way time works, uh, recording several podcasts in one day. Um, I was here in 2013 for the British Grand Prix, and that's a scarily long time ago now when Lewis Hamilton, is what was it, it'd been his left rear Pirelli exploded because they just couldn't cope with the forces uh, going on. Oh, I know it happened with other drivers as well. Um, yeah, I was, I was still at university. And yeah, Lewis Hamilton and Toto Wolff had just joined Mercedes and they were hoping for a bright future. Ross Braun was still in charge of the Mercedes Yeah, they were doing that team. weird crossover thing yeah. where there was the, all, everything was fine. It wasn't. And then it wasn't fine. And, that, and then now, uh, and now it's very much fine in terms of a Toto Wolff's relationship with Ross Braun, but also, uh, yeah, who could have predicted the remarkable run of titles? I mean, obviously the key point of Hamilton leaving McLaren for him personally was he wanted to fly the nest he's got a bit restrictive there he wasn't quite you know I think if if, if 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 Hamilton hadn't been the sort of homegrown hero at McLaren he might have won the 2007 world title because it was the problem was he was a little bit too reliant on that team and not necessarily questioning a lot of their calls that you'd see Jensen Button go on to do uh, when he joined the team so it was sort of growing out into his own environment and what a cool it ended up being because he's he's won all those titles, but he couldn't have been predicted. The other key point of why he signed was that Mercedes had the works engine program and had been developing it uh, for for a while ahead of the of the V six rules coming in for for twenty fourteen. And as they say, the rest is history. You know, six world titles, eight in a row for Mercedes and the constructors, and. Yeah, what a remarkable pairing it ended up being, Hamilton and Mercedes. And our second guest on the podcast, our chief editor, Kevin Turner. When the call comes in from Nicky Lauda, you've kind of got to at least take the call and say, I'll come and have a look around Brackley. 
Yes, and of course it coincided. I mean, actually, if you look well, at... It was Brixworth, I suppose. But, but, it was the, uh, the, they were sold on the engine plan, wasn't he, really, initially? Well, and also, I think the timing... I mean, I know Lewis has tried to sort of downplay it a little bit since, but, you know, he had that failure in, I want to say, Singapore. Singapore, yeah. Uh, and if you look at his time at McLaren, you could argue that it was a time of underachievement. You know, he'd come in amazing, probably the back, the greatest rookie season in F1 history. Then he won the World Championship. And then it kind of went a bit off and suddenly this bloke Sebastian Vettel and a fizzy drinks company were winning all the championships. Like, how the hell has this happened? Yeah, so you get to the end of 2012 and he's won, what, 21 races, I think, and one World Championship, which given the way he came in, you think, that's probably a bit poor return. I mean, so it's, you've got to try and remember that <laughs> Mercedes has allowed Lewis to put in the championships and race wins that he probably felt that he should have had earlier. Um, but he's just kept on getting better and it's, uh, you know, it's... It's the it's the modern model, isn't it? Is is having a re- long term relationship with a team that you trust, and and the failures that McLaren just coincided with Mercedes and Nicky Lauda knocking on the door, and you know it, it, a lot of people doubted the decision at the time uh, because McLaren had you know looked better than Mercedes in in twenty twelve despite the fact they'd had the you know, unreliability, um, but how quickly it turned around. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know why, but Lewis seems quite keen to sort of change the narrative around Singapore 2012. And he's like, no, it wasn't because of the gearbox. I decided because Ross Braun came to my mum's house and Nicky Lauda visited him and it was getting to know Nicky Lauda that was a key thing and that he'd gone away to Thailand after that race and that's where he decided everything. So I think it's more, I think he's he doesn't want it to be seen as perhaps him sort of leaving McLaren in a peak of rage or whatever. It's he, he made that decision to, to fly the nest, which is, which is, which is fair enough. Um, but just, just going back to looking back on 10 years of, we're going to talk specifically about Hamilton here, but Mercedes reputation back in 2012, reading through the Autosport magazines to come up with the feature was really not good. I mean, like it had all the resources, it had Nico Rosberg and Michael Schumacher. And as we now know, comparing Hamilton with Rosberg, Rosberg did very well against him. Michael Schumacher, therefore, you can say that both of those drivers were operating at a very high level. It just wasn't clear because the car wasn't up to scratch. We've, the magazine in 2012, we said something along the lines of they're sort of fumbling in the dark because they just couldn't. They, well, in that, in that year, they couldn't, you know, keep the tyres alive and that carried on into 2013. But yeah, someone basically, when, when the feature that I wrote for the magazine this week um, went up online on autosport.com, inevitably you guys know my thoughts on social media there was some wag on twitter being like what do you mean mercedes wasn't didn't have a good reputation back then it was like no seriously it it didn't and the pressure was on mercedes to deliver the car because the driver was was sorted once you got as you said kev you know lewis hamilton of that of that of that age and era yeah i guess what to refine it perhaps a little bit is it's the status of Mercedes within F1 paddock at the time was low given the expectation every time Mercedes has gone Grand Prix racing since 1908 they've come in and gone bang and won pretty quickly you know they've bulldozed across everyone every time they've come in really and it wasn't happening and that was into year three and it's not like they'd start up they'd bought a championship winning operation and had Ross Braun there and they bought a team that that didn't have any money spent on it the previous year I think Naturally, the passage of time, people look back at the Braun fairy tale and think that this was some sort of magical season that that, they dominated. It it wasn't. From from halfway on, they were nowhere. Braun Braun inherited a a very well-developed and funded Honda design. No money And they had no money to develop it. And and 
yeah, they they really needed the whole double diffuser trick and Jensen nailing it in those fir- first rounds because once Adrian Newey had got over the fury of <laughs> not been the one to have thought of the double yeah. diffuser. Sorry, he thought it was illegal because mm. everyone else's ideas are always the illegal mm. ones, aren't they? Uh, not just with Adrian, by the way. Just designers in general, general. don't like it. They didn't another think one. Of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and actually, the Red Bull was the quickest on the super times. Is even the quickest across the whole season. Definitely the second half of the year it is. But a combination of Jensen getting those points on the board, a few Vettel mistakes, Red Bull not quite being the slick operation that we now you know we know today. They just about managed to get over the line. But yeah, as you say, they didn't. They didn't hadn't got any money into the 2010 car, so they actually sort of naturally fell back and had to build up again. I think the key thing with, again, looking back at 10 years of Toto Wolff being there is that the key decisions that got Mercedes to win all those championships were taken before he arrived. So starting the V6 hybrid engine program and absolutely nailing it and signing Lewis Hamilton before he joins the team. But there's so many examples in F1 history of teams that have the potential and have the resources, A, not grabbing what they, you know, what, what they could possibly get or B, not making the most of their time in the sun. And I think undeniably, you have to say that he created a team culture there that absolutely maximised it and has the potential after a terrible 2022 season to come back in 2023. And that's something that the team insiders say, We 15 years ago when we were Honda or when we were, you know, in the, till we're talking 10 years ago, Hamilton joining Mercedes, we wouldn't have been able to do that. They didn't know the culture of winning and winning consistently and they really really know it now after 10 years of Toto Wolff that was a reminder coming in today and driving past them and thinking that place knows how to win like that is they don't forget how to win with one bad season fingers crossed for 23 let's get into the the actual topic of today's podcast what are we going to discuss today Kev I've ranked Hamilton's 10 seasons that's a surprise isn't it (laughs) Uh, shocking well, it was one of those things. I was talking to Alex about doing. Alex, obviously, do the do, uh, do the the main feature, mm. uh, in which I thought well, actually one of the interesting things came. That was An- Andrew Shovlin's point about Lewis now knows better how to draw things out of the team. I think it's an interesting story. I would encourage people to read read it because uh, you know, it shows that you know Lewis has also evolved. You know, he's a more complete driver than he was when he joined, and there have been a few landmarks along the way, which hopefully we'll we'll cover off with this. But yeah, we were we were chatting about it. I can't even remember whose idea it was. I might, I think I might have said, "Oh, I could do a ranking of the season," which started off as a, "Oh, well, it could just be a little sidebar," and then grew into a four-page piece to go off the back of Alex's. So, yeah, so we're going to just run down the the, the ten. Alex has right. seen the list as well. Um, I don't know if there are any particular points of contention. Um, but well, a, I think we, we, we were broadly in agreement with that but that doesn't yeah, make for a so good podcast I guess, so I've right. got my elbows I, out I've got my points ready okay well I mean um, as opposed to off. as opposed to a sort of a top, one of the top 10 mm. series that we do this is kind of maybe just another way of looking at, at Lewis's time at, at Mercedes mm. so in at 10 I, I did start at the beginning <laughs> uh, 2013 um, because although yeah it was a promising start um, and, he, and he did take that, that win but he wasn't entirely happy with the, you know, the braking during the course of the season. It took him a while to get used to that uh, on the Mercedes versus the McLaren. And he hadn't yet, I don't think, mastered the art of looking after the tyres quite as well as he, he does now. Okay, that car did eat rubber. I mean, it may, it may, it may be that there was nothing that he or Nico could have done about it. Um, and he did beat Rosberg in the, in the championship as well. Um, but compared to what came later, it was not a particularly remarkable uh, season and I did as part of it. I, I picked out 
where he was rated in the F1 top 10 and the Autosport top 50, because I thought that was a good benchmark as well. And he was third in the top 10 F1 and seventh in the top 50, which by Lewis's standards is an appalling <laughs> result. Um, so yeah, that was in at 10. So a decent start, but not spectacular. Okay, so I think... I think I'd swap them around. Well, basically, unfortunately, I'm going to have to give away your number nine. Okay, let's get into number nine. Argue (laughs) these two together. So number nine is is 2022, which is statistically Hamilton's actually, I think it's his worst season in in Formula One, isn't it? Or it's certainly certainly his worst season uh, at Mercedes in terms of championship finishing positions. The first year he didn't score a race win. Um, but the reason why I would swap them around, and it's interesting you mentioned the breaking point in 2013 because you got to factor that in with the porpoising problems on the W13, right? It, that stability under braking was a key thing, and that's really the times Lewis hasn't done so well is when he's not been so happy with the braking. So, yeah, that's a big factor in his season that year. Why I think I'd swap them around is because he did beat Rosberg in 2013. He lost to George Russell in 2022. Now, I know there were circumstances such as safety cars in Melbourne, other examples like that. I know Lewis looked like he was going to be the most likely one to win in a race where Red Bull didn't drop the ball, as they did in Brazil. And he was involved in another crash with Max Verstappen in Brazil. And that's the key reason why Russell won there. But he was beaten by a teammate in a year that he wasn't in 2013. And in that year as well, he was so fast in qualifying. You know, you mentioned the the tyres, Mercedes couldn't get the tyres to work in the races after that Silverstone race that I talked about earlier. They were better. Um, but yeah, that's why I would swap them around because I think that the stats for 2022, the suggestion that George Russell, a new driver at a team, adapted faster than who many consider to be the greatest Formula One driver of all time to a specific car, got to be factored in. That would be my case. I think, um, I mean, that's all fair enough. I would, I'd stick to my order on the basis that uh, I think that there were drives that, well, first of all, I was persuaded by my two uh, F1 feature and report writers, Alex Kanalkas and Matt Q, um, that the work that Lewis did, obviously, in the early part of 2022, yeah, he played a much more of an te- important team role, I feel, that year than he would have done in 2013 when he was new to it and still learning the ropes. But he had all the so experience. I, I mean, you could throw you yeah. could throw the crazy setup at George, but you'd get less good yeah. feedback. So I think that he's more of an important part of the team in 2022. We put Lewis ahead of George this you know, last year anyway, partly because of that. But also I thought there were some performances... Austin, Mexico, Zandvoort, that were really absolutely still top drawer outstanding in a way that perhaps he hadn't quite got to yet in 2013. Um, but I mean, they they do you know they do stand out as the two <laughs> the two weak seasons. I also have a suspicion that ten years from now, when George Russell's a multiple world champion and lots of Grand Prix wins, will go. Well, he was just better than Nico Rosberg, so of course that was going to be a harder challenge. But we can't say that yet. Yeah. Mistakes in 2013? Did he make any absolute clangers? Because he did in 2022 at Spa, that that clash with Alonso on lap one. I don't think Hamilton necessarily, when he's on the way up, makes the error. No, he had that 2011 season with McLaren, but it was a weird, Ooh, weird little crash. So I don't, mm. nothing comes to mind when you think about 2013 and big errors. And often we factor that in, you know, our rankings and things like that. Like, has a driver made a serious error? And okay, like, you know, the early on in the year, in 2022, we were going to possibly put Charles Leclerc at the top of the list because it looks like he was, you know, the top 50 in the F1 top 10s because he was producing one of the all-time great seasons despite his car and team problems. And then he 
biffed it into the barriers at Paul Ricard. It's like, well, he can't possibly be ahead of Max Verstappen now. So yeah, that that would be a, a, another point I'd go in there for putting 2022 at number 10. Okay, eighth best season. So 2016. So uh, I think this is quite a key moment in Hamilton's career, not just at Mercedes, but full stop, really. So he was quicker than Nico Rosberg in 2016. Not by very much and not arguably not often enough. But that's not really why he lost the, the, you know, the lost championship. He lost the championship for a couple of reasons. One was he had the, he did have worse reliability. You could run that championship again and he probably would still win it. But he also contributed to his downfall, largely with the starts. I picked out Monza, where he, was, he absolutely destroyed Rosberg in qualifying and then just didn't move at the start. And Rosberg had put extra effort in ahead of the season to get the car off the line. And Hamilton gave away points during the season. So yes, he was unlucky and he came on strong and he was, he was imperious in the last few races when he needed to be on it. After Nico beat him in Japan, he was, yeah, he was on it. Um, but I think even he realised that he left points on the table in 2016 that cost him. You need to have a buffer for if other things go wrong because you can't control everything. And I think that we saw in 2017 Lewis step up as a result of what happened in 16. And the reason he was so annoyed that Nico Rosberg retired is because he didn't get his chance to get revenge. So it's perfect timing from Nico. So, uh, you know, Lewis was still impressive. He was second in our top 50 and our top 10 behind Daniel Ricciardo. That year he did a mega job at Red Bull. So he was good but he also contributed to, to his own downfall in a way that he probably hasn't done since. Okay, so I have got some thoughts about this placing, but I want you to introduce your number seven choice next. So the only thing I'll just say at this stage is that you've, you've picked out highlights for each of these 10 seasons uh, of Hamilton and Mercedes, Kevin. You've, you've mentioned the uh, the Brazilian GP in the wet and how everybody says, oh, that was Max Verstappen. Wasn't he absolutely amazing? Oh yeah, apart from when he massively lost it and went sideways, nearly crashed into the barrier. Spectacular save. It was a good Spectacular save. save. It was a great save. Better to have not done it though, I think. <laughs> uh, and Lewis Hamilton didn't do it. He, Damn you know, he charged you. up in the wet. With your logic. And also liked Max was interviewed after that one, and everyone was getting very excited about it. And this is one of the things I do like about Max that he's kind of on the level whatever happens. Mm. And it's, oh, you know, do you think you could have won without that moment? He's like, well, no, because Lewis is driving all the right lines as well. Yeah. Like he's just very matter of fact. Like he, even then, he knew that Lewis was the other guy. Um, so they've known for they've known that each other is the, the other one, if you like, for seven years now. So introduce number your seventh best season, and then we'll talk about them. So seventh is 2014, which is his first Merck season. And I think it's his least convincing because Rosberg actually outqualifies him, uh, which I presume is um, maybe what Alex is going to pick up on. Exactly. Um, But he was still quicker in the races. And Nico was quicker partly because he just looks at Lewis's data and went, that's how you do it. And I think perhaps Lewis got a bit more canny with the way he dealt with that in following season. So... Uh, there were time, there were more times in 2014 that Nico was quicker than any of the other seasons, probably even more so than 2016. But I think that Lewis didn't leave as many points on the table in 14 as he did in 16. So that's my argument, I suppose, for having it ahead. Funny enough, on the top 10 and the top 50, it was the same as 2016. So we ranked them the same. So they were very close, these two. Okay, so I'm not as adamant on this as I was before with 10 and 9 and, and, and one of the other, or two of the other seasons that we're going to come and talk about later on. But a couple of things to pick up on. Yes, he wasn't as good in qualifying and Lewis Hamilton is the ultimate qualifier in, in Formula 1 history. So it really, it was surprising to is. read that. Well, okay, fine. Uh, I'm I, probably I, getting seduced by the number of polls. But yeah. <laughs> he's quick. He's better qualifier than Rosberg. 
Yes, but in relative terms, not, if that makes sense. Like, I think that was one of Nico's top strengths, whereas I don't think it's one of Lewis's, but Lewis has got so many good strengths. Like, I don't think he's going to... He's in my top two or three greatest Grand Prix drivers of all time, but he's not probably my top two or three fastest qualifiers, if that makes sense. But, I mean, we're... I'll be mean, talking nothingness, <laughs> really. Um, but yeah, sorry, go on. But the other point is, I'm going to use your own words against you. You said it, 2014 was his least convincing of the 10 seasons. And I think, I think there's something to that. I think that he kind of lost his head a little bit when Nico Rosberg went up the escape road at Monaco. And we've seen that throughout Lewis's career. Not necessarily recently. I'm thinking how well, he actually responded, I thought, really well against Max Verstappen in 2021. And all sorts of toxicity and, and, and actual, actual proper crashes, you know, big heavy crashes uh, in that season. But he, I think there was kind of a, oh, what's gone on? It's a bit like 2011. He sort of couldn't cope with the things constantly going wrong. And that was a, a fault of his early career. But the con- that's true. But the constant is teammate. He can take pressure from outside, whether it's Max at Red Bull, when it was Seb at Ferrari. It's if right. there's someone within the team. That's when, you know, he lost it really when Jensen was on a good run and he wasn't at McLaren. And then Nico did, I think, probably get under his skin. I think Nico tried pretty hard to get under his skin because he knew that he had to do something to beat him. Just as a quick aside, have you seen that clip? I don't know where it was recorded, actually. I saw it on, I think it was TikTok. It's Lewis and George Russell and Toto Wolff were on stage at some event. And uh, George Russell's sort of being like, oh, yeah, you know, sometimes in the motorhomes I can hear Lewis singing through the walls as he prepares before the race. And Lewis goes, yeah, I used to have a teammate that would throw a ball at the wall, kick a ball at the wall just to disturb me before every race. And obviously... Wouldn't be drawn at who that could possibly be. Wow. How true that is, I don't know. Get, but he's, he's an amazing. Not Valtteri Bottas. Not Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> yeah, but, or, or, or probably Jensen Button or Heike Kovalainen. In the fullness of time, I think we will find more and more things that Nico Rosberg, who's a very intelligent person, did to, because he knew that Lewis was better. Because he'd known since they were kids that he was better. Was like, How the hell am I going to beat this guy? So he did basically everything he could think of. Uh, and it and it, it did work in the end, didn't it? A combination of things got him over over the line. Lewis is, is also threatening to write a book at some stage, which I think would be absolutely amazing if he doesn't pull any punches. I think he's got some stories. Yeah, That'd be amazing. Yeah. 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 Okay, right. Moving on, number six, sixth best season for Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, so twenty fifteen. So this is a more convincing title than um, whichever way around you have sixteen and fourteen. I think fifteen beats them both because yeah, he he has the qualifying edge. He, he reverses that over Rosberg uh, and really he's actually quite a dominant champion the downside is a fairly I think it must be a subconscious thing because I'm sure Lewis won't have gone his last few races with the championship deciding gone oh I'm not going to try that hard I don't think that's how he's wired but I think there is something that I think Hamilton responds to like he steps it up when he needs to most of the great champions do that and he'd won the championship and he just for whatever reason he couldn't he couldn't ratchet himself up for those last few. And Rosberg went on a run of poles and wins, which I do think helped him into 2016. He had that incredible start to 2016 then, and, and that put Lewis on the back foot from the very start. So that so 15, I think he was number one in our top 50. He was number one uh, in our F1 top 10 drivers. He did win the world championship um, more convincingly than in 14, but still, he still wasn't quite peak Lewis, I don't think. I have absolutely no problem with this ranking at number six. I think it's, yeah, for every reason you said there, Kev, I think that's that's about right. But it's interesting what you mentioned there with giving Rosberg that momentum in the last three races. And it makes me wonder if that was a factor in 2020 when he came back 
so quickly from having COVID and missing Sakir Grand Prix. He was back for the Abu Dhabi race. He really didn't, really didn't sound great uh, in terms of, because of course, just getting over a, a horrible illness. But it's interesting. Like maybe there was, oh, I, I have to be back and I have to be trying to do something. The sort of the, the unfortunate element there was that Max Verstappen and Red Bull did rather wipe the floor with Mercedes when they got things a little bit wrong. Yeah, that on the one tires. race. <laughs> yeah, and then went on into 2021 and, and, and started amazingly. But, uh, but also just as a very quick aside about 2015, that contains one of my all-time favourite Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg moments. And it's just great. It's great TV. After Hamilton wins the title at Austin and he gets the second place cap and he chucks it at Rosberg. I don't think he's, I don't think he's actually meaning to do it maliciously, but he sort of flings it across the room. It lands in Rosberg's lap and Rosberg chucks it back at him and that you can't really see Hamilton's face but the sort of bits that you can suggest he was not happy and it's just oh there's so much subtext and you know imagery in that's yours your second number two. Oh, you su- are number two superb superb to watch because it, yeah. it, it was a kind of it, it, do you think he meant to just sort of almost if he'd been a bit close he would have passed it if he was within reaching he didn't mean for it to be that gesture but what Rosberg took it as and that elevated the whole tension. I mean, I could be wrong. Lewis could have done it on purpose, but I didn't. It just didn't strike me as a. I'm 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 making a, a point here about my domination, but Rosberg just the way he threw it <laughs> back. Well, oh, way is normally to make wonderful. his point on the track. Mm. He's not really interested in all that other stuff normally, is he? Uh, so yeah, I know that I know the clip you mean. It, it does look like a fairly innocuous throw, but yeah, ne- 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 <laughs> Nico's not in the mood. He throws it back. Okay, uh, let's get into the top five. Okay. And if any of our listeners were thinking, well, this is obviously, they're going to list off, you know, times that Hamilton's won the world championship. Not so fast, my friend. What's at five? Five is 2021, mm. where, of course, he didn't uh, win it. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't want to do the chat about Abu Dhabi 2021 again. I mean, no, but, but let's do the Red chat Bull about how good he was that year. So, yeah, so rules tweak, throws the advantage marginally into Red Bull's favour. Lewis somehow wins the first race, bit of track limits. Ooh. And then... Uh, yeah, and, and I'd say for most of the season, Red Bull does have the pace advantage, not all the time, but usually a little one. Hamilton keeps in there and has to change the way he fights Verstappen because of the way Verstappen drives in, the Silston crash, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then come, but he keeps himself in the game. Uh, and uh, Mercedes then come on strong at the end of the year and he reels off those wins and it's equal points going into the finale. And you think... How has this happened? Like, how have we got to this point? I don't think anyone else on the grid takes Verstappen to the final race in that car, in those circumstances. I know Max had some bad luck as well. You know, Obviously, uh, Bottas playing pinball at Hungary. Max got fired off there. That wasn't anything to do with Verstappen, of course. So I just thought it was a, it was a great season. He did have a couple of errors, of course. The uh, the error that he claims wasn't an error when he hit the wrong button at Baku and a rate up to that point it had been a brilliant drive where he looked like he was going to take a win from when he shouldn't really have done it, it was going to be another one of those Hamilton's done Mercedes a favour and he made a mistake and went down this gate and it was all gone I thought he Baku. did eventually take the bl- or is well he, he, is he never actually taken the did, blame f- he described it but he didn't claim it was an error because it shouldn't have been like that I think was the argument but as Alex has pointed out on a couple of, a couple of occasions it's like yeah but you haven't done it you didn't do it before. Yeah, so it, uh, it is an error. He went down the escape way because of something you did. Yeah, you, yeah. So that is an error. And the other one, of course, was uh, going past uh, George Russell, in fact, into Tosa at Imola in the damp and sliding off. Very similar to something that Damon Hill did in 1993 because I was watching that race the other day. Very similar off. Um, so that's why that's why it's going to go no higher than fifth. But I still think it was an incredible season. And if he'd won the World Championship, I don't think anyone except 
obviously staunch Max Verstappen fans would really have argued. Okay, so again, this is another one. This is my last big disagreement I've got with your ranking. So why don't you go on to number four? We'll go on to number four. And then I'll come back to so, so number four, I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I, think, I think this has to be ahead on the basis that I think that Hamilton maximises the kit all the way through the season. Okay, so there's the early diva thing. Uh, you could say the start of the season in 2017 is perhaps not uh, Lewis at his best and Bottas does do well at the start of, of, of that season, which presumably is Alex's his angle on it. Um, but I just think the second half of the year in particular, when it's really, you know, chips are down against Ferrari and Ferrari are, are strong, yeah, Hamilton makes the difference. Um, and, you know, he, like Belgium Grand Prix, for example, he wins against Vettel, uh, when Bottas is fifth, like he really the bigger the championship uh, kind of pressure, the further he is down the road from from Bottas, uh, and he, he he won the championship quite comfortably in the end. When I think perhaps he shouldn't have won it quite that easily. There were fewer big mistakes in 2017 versus 2021. Perhaps the argument will be that there were more off colour weekends early in the year. Perhaps. So my so actually my point is sort of. It's sort of hoisted by something I said earlier, and it comes down to that big mistake, those big mistakes moments that Lewis had in 2021. I think you, I can totally see the case of putting 2017 ahead on that basis. But what I would say about 2021 is I think the, the peaks were better. And I think strength of opposition as well is a big factor because a fired up Max Verstappen, who's going to go on to become one of the all-time greats against the, actually, when you look at Vettel's whole Ferrari career, even during 2017, 2018, was he actually even that amazing? Not not judging by the results. And it's Ferrari, you know, that, that Red Bull team. I think if you look at the start of this century, it's second only to Mercedes, like even across all the years. And I only started in 2005. So that's my point, is that 2021 what a campaign and how good Lewis was at times. I, I get, I totally get the point about the errors I, and, I, and I do agree with them. So I'm sort of arguing against myself here, but Brazil, ah, oh, Brazil. I, I mean, honestly, I know we've had this uh, disagreement in the past. And I think it would make an excellent podcast. I think that's better than Silverstone 2008. I thought he was absolutely terrific. I mean, we, we will have that as a separate podcast at some point, either when he wins his eighth title or retires his or best drive. something, his best drive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't. It's fourth on the list that I haven't actually finished yet. Well, I have. I've done it three times. Brazil, tw- Brazil, twenty twenty one is is fourth. Yeah, what's, oh, the, we won't what's get two and three? Monza eighteen and Turkey ah. twenty. Because ah, the top three Monza races are winning good. races in a car that's not the best or or wet weather drives. Um, but I mean, the, actually, the way I kind of view Hamilton's career is quite interesting. That we've had this debate about twenty one versus seventeen. I regard Hamilton's peak as. Uh, 18 to 20 with 17 going up to the peak and 21 just begin to come down so they're almost of a similar level either side of that of that peak is how I see it I follow that logic Um, so uh, yeah to me they're kind of batched together Um, and which way yeah I mean which way around you you could you can argue as we have done argue it either way but for me the top three are are sort of clear of the rest Uh, in terms of 2021 I'm I'm wondering could it be seen as a as a negative on his on his decision making that he didn't choose to stay further away from Max. He like he knows Max's temperament. They've raced together a long time. You could argue that a racing driver doesn't do that. So he doesn't back down from Rosberg and he takes them off. He doesn't back down from Max and you get one car on top of another in Italy. Well no because but should he have just gone, you know what? Because he but he did do that. He did that at the start of the year. He turns out of collisions in Spain. He 
he, he, they give as good as they get in Imola. It got to the point that he could not back down at Cops. Like there was, if he, if Max Verstappen comes out of Cops ahead, he, there is no Abu Dhabi. So mentally, Max He's, wins that game. You're saying so? It's not. I don't know if it's winning the game mentally. I think it's that Lewis just had no other option. He's like, right, this guy isn't backing down. So I've, I can't either, and I'm so far behind in the championship. It doesn't matter if if we crash. Yeah, okay. I think okay. there's I think there's context there. The previous years where Max would try his luck because when you're sniping for victories and not fighting for a championship, it's a different thing. You can take more risks. And from the moment that Max came into Formula One, obviously first with Torres and then with Red Bull, he was only in a situation at that stage where he at best could be sniping for wins or podiums. Whereas Lewis is in a championship fight every time. So when this you know, young Dutchman comes flying down the inside, he's like, whoa, okay, mate, you can have this one uh, because I need to score points and that's what I've got in my, my head. Now, whether Max has then computed that as well, I can get away with this every time. Lewis got to the point in 2021 where he's like, I, I can't afford to do this now because if he clears off and wins another race, I'm going to get further and further behind. So he was, he'd been playing a different game up to that point. And then in 2021, he had he had to fight differently. You can have a debate all day about whether it should have been at Silverstone, whether it should have been Cops, whether whether he should have made the point at Spain when Max came lunging down the inside there and gone, "Oh, I'm turning in now, chap." Um, yeah, you could, but uh, you know, this is my this is my point to yeah Red Bull, who yeah obviously they don't don't like my criticism of Max is that Lewis Hamilton over the last five six years has saved Red Bull an awful lot of damage cost that's true and and, la- and, in, 20, true. and in halfway through 2021 he decided not to do it anymore now how that now plays out over the next two years until lewis retires i think it's fascinating and i hope that max i hope they get to a point where they can race wheel to wheel because they are the two best drivers of well as i say the generation actually they're sort of half a generation apart really i want to see the two best drivers in the world get through a corner side by side together yeah to give, it, because to that's give what each other racing room. is exactly yeah. but we're at the point now where neither one will give the other room so i'm not quite sure how that's gonna how that's gonna gonna go but yeah no i wouldn't yeah i, I don't know what else lewis could have done in 21 really so, so this is where we disagree i am more than happy to see them crash into each other no all i don't the time like from now on ah oh, oh, just think of the clicks kev think of the interest. yeah no i know think of the drama from a mag sales oh. and a, yeah but see this is where i i perhaps shouldn't i hope my boss doesn't listen to this that's perhaps where i'm more of a motorsport enthusiast and fan than i am a, a purist a, 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 yeah a purist if you like than a, a businessman in that i, I want to see I want to see great drivers having great racing, not great drivers crashing into each other. I, I hated Suzuka 90. On Alex's point, if, I, if, if Max and Leclerc are racing, I feel like they're going to give each other a bit more room at the minute. And I think, or Max, I think Max feels that he is the superior one and he's almost like doing Leclerc a favour. Like, I'll just stay away from you here because I'm going to get you on the next corner. Whereas where, when Hamilton and Max are heading for the same piece of tarmac, you do your heart beats a little bit faster, doesn't it? You're like, what's going to happen here? And more often than not, they crash. So not that you want Formula 1 to be a crash fest, but there is more tension. There is more tension there, isn't there? I, I, just, I just like that I'm here for the drama. Okay, all right, we better move on. We better move on. very dramatic. Famously. <laughs> on to the podium. So and number three. Number three. 2019. Uh, this is actually, if you look at the, the raw pace uh, advantage Mercedes had is only 0.149%, which is normally enough to have a good old championship fight. There were plenty of good races in 2019. And then you look at the championship results and you go, he won by how much? Um, he won by 87 points, uh, which is ridiculous. Uh, now, partly it was Ferrari and Red Bull having inconsistent seasons. There was an element of that, but also it was, it was Lewis just being on it all the time. Um, and, you know, I picked out Monaco 
because it was a race where Mercedes gave him a trickier race than he perhaps should have had. And he had Max Verstappen behind him and he looked after the tyres. You know, he's bringing everything into his game now. You know, he's, he's looking after the rubber. He's keeping Max at arm's length when the dive eventually does come. And I'm not criticising Verstappen for having a go because it's Monaco. And like, oh God, you want to see something. But actually the movie tried wasn't on. That was only ever going to be a crash except for the fact that I think probably Lewis and Alonso, probably the only two that don't crash at that point because they, they've got enough about them to see it coming and just steer out of it enough so there's a bit of a touch and they both get away with it. Um, I just think so. I think that's just a brilliant all-round performance from, from Hamilton. I think he was like that uh, all season, really. Um, so, Closest yeah. competitor was his teammate, who he had under control. Yeah. He never looked like, even though he looked like losing any individual race... He never looked like losing the championship. And then, and then there are points where he let other people kind of take the mickey a little bit because of this bigger picture thing. So I think Charles Leclerc is actually a very clean driver, but I think his defence against Hamilton at Monza was very borderline. And into the chicane, he doesn't give a car's width. Like now, that would probably be a penalty. And Lewis goes, OK, bails off, goes down the run, run off. Leclerc wins the race because he had an eye on the, on the prize. Um, the bigger prize but he, he so he's done you, some people see that as a weakness but I think that that's just I think that's class to be honest yeah I wonder if it, if it wasn't Monza whether Leclerc would have been quite that fasty, feisty because I do agree it was it wasn't a car's width was it it was it was cheeky at the uh, at the most generous there to Charles Leclerc um, but yeah actually actually on Ferrari in 2019 um it, it gives away so many points. Leclerc should have won in Bahrain. He crashes in Baku. It's you know it's, it's ridiculous that it takes them until Spa to win. It's it's actually really strange because it was such a good package that year, controversially as we know. And um, but I totally agree with you having this at number three compared to the two seasons that are coming. Because here Hamilton does have a clear weakness, and again it's qualifying. And he talked about that. I spoke to him about that in 2020. He said, "I look." He does this. He goes gets to the end of every season and he reflects. And he thinks, "How can I be better? What things can I do?" He only gets five pole positions. Now I know it's only, it's all relative and whatnot. But Leclerc outscores him. And he, he identified that as, oh, I could actually, I could make things easier for myself on the Sunday if I'm better on the Saturday. So yeah, third for 2019, absolutely bang on. Second best season for Hamilton is... 2020. So this is the kind of almost archetypal perfect season. Right. So, <laughs> which makes it sound like she'll be number one. But basically he has, in my view, Merck's greatest Grand Prix car. Certainly in recent, certainly in this time period, I suspect probably ever. Um, it's the fastest F1 car of all time. He breaks the qualify. He's still got the qualifying lap record from Monza. The Spa lap, I think, is one of the greatest in F1 history. He smashes Bottas. He puts in one of his, I think, best wins uh, in, in the Turkish Grand Prix. Well, Vettel was really good about that. You know, oh, God, he's won another race. He shouldn't have won. Because actually, probably several drivers could have won that. And, you know, Max has a spin. And, you know, Lewis... Shows his maturity, Bry. It, he lets the race come to him, whereas 10 years before, he'd perhaps be, try, he'd be doing the max thing. So it's a brilliant campaign. Uh, he wins by miles. Um, he got six 10 out of 10s um, in all sport driver ratings, 11 wins, 10 poles. I almost wish he hadn't come back with COVID, actually, because otherwise he'd had 11 from 15 races, which is, which is incredible. And so, the, the, it, so in any other time, I think it's number one. So our, our, the, but the reason it isn't is because I think in 28, the difference is in 2018, he doesn't have the clearly best car and he smashes the opposition anyway. In 2020, I think there are a number of top drivers that could smash out a season like 2020 with that car. 
in 2018, I think there's only a handful of drivers in F1 history that wins the World Championship in that Mercedes in 2018 and certainly wins it by, uh, in the end, a comfortable margin. Like, it's another one of those championships where Hamilton has made Mercedes look better than it was. Now, they, they finish the season strongly and on the super times they do end up quickest, but he's in the leader championship before then. Two-thirds of the way through the year, he's done it. Now, Vettel plays his part in that, of course, with his mistakes, but there are some great Lewis moments as well, like Hungary, Ferrari look like they're on the front foot, dry, it rains, Lewis is on pole, controls the race, even though Ferrari are quicker. Uh, Monza, Ferrari look out the front row, sack Kimi Raikkonen, Vettel loses his, loses his cool behind it, and Lewis single-handedly beats beats the Ferrari team. So, uh, so 2018, I just think, is up there with, you know, Jackie Stewart in 73, Prost in 86, uh, of winning a championship with a car that wasn't, yeah, it wasn't clearly the best. But for 2020, that car, that Mercedes, gets almost twice as many constructor points as its yeah. nearest rival, so, the Red Bull. So, it, like, the car was just so, dominant. Yeah, so ha- I guess you could say the Hamilton's 2020 is like Schumacher's 2004, like a guy on top of his game, but with everything else around it as well, just smashing. Ferrari went nowhere. He, um, yeah. But I feel like Schumacher's driving was better before Ferrari got into that. Uh, that state because he had to dig deeper with some of the (laughs) less brilliant cars that they produced and I kind of feel like this is obviously the 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 2008 Merc was better than some of the Ferraris that Chewie had to deal with early on but it's that that for me digging deep a bit more against the odds scores more points for me than smashing out the wins with a dominant car 2020 so yeah so I think in terms of the, the the choices for two and one I I agree with them I think the only sort of case you could make for pushing 2020 above is because of what Lewis does outside of the car that's where for me he adds his element of greatness in terms of standing up for improving diversity in Formula One being so eloquent on things like Black Lives Matter and the the the, the, the campaign for for to, for ending racial injustice in the world and just the way that you know things outside the car really affected him like you could tell he was emotional and he was upset and he hated seeing what was going on to the terrible things that you know suppressing various people in in, in lots of societies so it's a it's a different way of looking at what defines great. I think that's 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 you know that's where it, it comes on. You know, it's particularly prevalent there. It was COVID, of course. That was the the big the big the really big COVID year as as it was for everybody. But in terms of that, you know, I'm, I don't disagree with how you've got them that way round because I also think in 2018, if Hamilton had been in the Ferrari, the sort of the slower car, he probably still would win the would win the championship. Like if you swap you swapped him and Vettel completely. I think Hamilton is still the champion. Whereas you couldn't, nobody else would have been able to do that. So I think he was better that year. But um, but yeah, these are very minor points. I don't, you know, I think my big disagreements were were earlier on in in your list. Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously when I'm doing these, I I do go on the on-track, the the racing side. I don't factor in the... um, Political's not really... Well, yeah, I suppose it is political side of it um, and the wider context, because I think that's a slightly different... You're almost talking about a great driver or a great figure or great person. Um, but I be, undoubtedly, Hamilton in 2020 was a bigger star in the wider world than he had been in 2018 because he, I think he'd at that point realised the status and what he could do with it. You know, the cars were black because of him. So uh, in an impact point of view, I think that that's fair. I think from an on-track point of view, I feel like 18 was uh, 18 was outstanding. So let's talk about that. Introduce the best ever season then. We kind of mentioned it already, but this is for you, just the number one. 
in terms of the well, season. Uh, 2018. 2018? Yeah. Well, I think that the Ferrari's a quicker car in this first half of the year. First two-thirds, maybe? Um, and but Hamilton just doesn't give any points away. Like it's that lesson from 2016 that he's kind of developed into 17. He's just on it all the time. Um, and when when the Merc is good, he nails the wins, no problem. Like you'd expect the great drivers to do. But then there are there are the races like like as I say, Monza. I mean, even Germany actually. Okay, Vettel fell off, but it, when it started to rain and he was on the dry tyres, uh, he was the quickest guy there. It's got that Senna-esque thing of it starts to come down, and and this is my this is my chance. Um, I, I yeah, I just think that every opportunity he if he got half a sniff of something in 2018, he took it, and it's really hard to put a season like that together. Um, where you're consistently at such a high level. You know, it's up there with Alonso in 2012 with Ferrari, you say Jackie Stewart 73, Prost 86, Jim Clark 65. You know, I think it's right up there. You know, if you look at the final championship table, you know, he wins he wins it by 88, 88 points. points. Yeah. But the percentage difference on pace in the cars is just over a point one of a percent, which again should be a championship fight. And that's the point. So yes, Lewis Hamilton has had the best car most of the time when he's been at Mercedes, but a lot of the time, not 14 to 16, 14 to 16, they were miles down the road and it was just Nico here to worry about. But since 17, other cars have been quite close, but he's made it look like Mercedes domination has just continued un- unabated. Obviously until Max Verstappen and Red Bull really, you know, that rule tweak in 21 just threw them up that extra little level that they'd been sort of knocking on the door at for the previous 18 months. So at the end on the super times, it is the Merc. Uh, but it actually only overtake if you look at the, the way the Super Times, it, basically Ferrari lose the plot a little bit. Uh, Seb's already given away two. So Hamilton's in the lead of the championship at the point where he should be about to do a great charge. Like we should have had a, a, a final third of the season in 2018 where Hamilton in a revitalised Mert was coming back at a points lead that Vettel and Ferrari had, but he already had it. So instead of eroding it, he just pulled away and won the championship early. Yes, yeah, so sorry, I slightly misspoke earlier when I said the Mercedes being quicker than the Ferrari. I meant over like just on the, the times of the of the entire season, but you're right about how strong Ferrari started off that year. Um but yeah, my only other point about twenty ten is you mentioned sort of Hockenheim being like a Senna moment and we know, you know, he was uh, Hamilton's hero. He has another Senna esque moment, which is in qualifying at Singapore. Where we, that is one of the all-time great qualifying laps and it's on a street track you think Senna and Monaco and, and the legends there and it's just I mean it's even Mercedes were like we don't know how he did that it was truly spectacular yeah traditionally a track the Mercedes hadn't been brilliant at either in the previous years um, yeah so I, I think I did a uh, how Hamilton fits into the great qualifying debate as I said I don't think he's quite he hasn't smashed teammates out of the way I think that's partly a, 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 a indicative of the time because of data and all the rest of it but to pick out his best laps I do think Spa 2020 and Singapore 2018 are the two qualifying laps you look at and go yeah they they were good (laughs) yeah and I guess we need to be reminded of things like the battle with Vettel because I'm I've kind of I'd forgotten uh that Lewis didn't start strong that that was it was it was a comeback again you know that's why we do these podcasts because Time passes and your brain gets a bit furry and the memory goes. Well, I think what I think what Hamilton did in that pre, let's say the pre-Max Verstappen era, yeah. is absolutely underline that he had everyone of his generation covered, with the exception of Fernando Alonso, who was just never in the ballpark to have a proper fight with, because mm. he he properly sorted Vettel out. He knew, and I think Seb knew as well. That's why Seb kind of 
started getting into this sort of terrible spinning loop. Mm. Um, and I think he was, I think he was, he'd mentally lost the fight. And that's why I do think that Alex's point about Max and Red Bull is a stronger, like that is stronger. Like Max Verstappen will be higher than Sebastian Vettel in the list of great drivers by the time his career finishes, I suspect. Um, so he is a stronger opposition, um, you know, for, for Lewis, I think. Well, there we go. Thank you, gents. That was good fun. And uh, ranking Hamilton's best, 10 best seasons in Formula One, of course. Always uh, always interesting when it's a current driver, uh, you know, move, moving target, if you like, because the story's not finished. The book isn't closed. Uh, so maybe we'll make this podcast again in a few years' time and have a different uh, result. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and we'll see you on the next one. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.